Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. The website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you're going to go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today we are resuming our study in the gospel according to Matthew. And we're ready for chapter 12 this morning. Chapter 12 is a is a decent length. Uh, I want to say 40, 50 verses. And it deals with various topics, but a large portion of it is actually directed at the Pharisees themselves. Directed at these religious people, these religious leaders, who really by their own actions, demonstrate that they're not actually interested in the things of God. They're just interested in the position, being a Pharisee, being a perceived person of God brings them. And Jesus shows very little tolerance for their hypocrisy. There's definitely some warnings here for us, too, that we can take. Uh, but he, he, Jesus says some very strong things to the Pharisees, and to that entire generation that I think we should take to heart today. So let's begin. The story starts with Jesus and his disciples walking on the Sabbath day. His disciples are gleaning corn, which is permitted uh, by Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, that says, When thou comest in, to the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thy hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle into thy neighbor's standing corn. In other words, if you were hungry, you could walk through the field and you could just grab a little bit with your hands and eat it. You just couldn't go there and start reaping it. They throw a fit because it's on the Sabbath day. Jesus is going to correct their man-made rules here. All right. Open up your hearts and let the Word of God speak to you this morning. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 12, King James Bible. Let's begin. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered? And they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is, e is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So, please know, Jesus brings up uh, a couple of things. First of all, it's not against the, the law to, to do what the disciples were doing. Second of all, the only rules Jesus is breaking here are their own rabbinic 
laws. And then thirdly, Jesus, Jesus makes it clear to them that even so, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And he is greater than the temple and all these things. Verse 9. And when he had departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? And he said unto him, What man there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much more, then, is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he saith to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. Then the Pharisees went out, and they held a council against them how they might destroy him. Please note again, I apologize, there will probably be a lot of interruptions today. Notice that the Pharisees don't go, oh my gosh, this is clearly a man from God. He just healed this man's withered hand in front of our very eyes. Like, that's the response that you would expect, right? No. Their response is, how dare he break our rules? How dare he put himself in a position of authority over us? Let's go take counsel about how we can ruin this person. Is there anything new under the sun? I wonder. If I wonder if that would be an any different response today. Verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And he charged them that they should not make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul was well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax Shall we not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory? And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Then he was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. 
how how then shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his goods. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Please note, before we read the next few paragraphs, I want us to be reminded of what the context is, because the context is the key to understanding what he's talking about. Jesus is healing, doing supernatural healings. The blind are seeing, the the deaf are hearing, withered hands are being stretched out. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, like I said, instead of being in awe, instead of being amazed, instead of acknowledging that only a man of God could do this, what do they say? The accusation is, is that it's not the Spirit of God healing, but it's the devil himself. Jesus says something very strong that I think people miss. He says, if I do it by Beelzebub, then what do your children do it by? Verse 27, he says, And if if by Beelzebub cast out devils, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? That's very, very strong. He's saying your children are worse than somebody who cast out, who would cast them out by Beelzebub. Your children are even worse than that. So that's the context for the next section here. Let's continue on. Wherefore I say unto you, this is the same conversation, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. And whoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So remember, what's the context here? What has Jesus been talking about that's led him to this warning about blasphemy in the Holy Spirit? Here's what that is. It's attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Many will read this passage and they'll be in fear because the consequences are grave. The consequences are horrible. It's you won't be forgiven in this life, nor the one to come. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come, he says. Here's the deal. It's kind of like this. I deal with people sometimes and they think because that they've that there's a sin that they're that they're wrestling with and struggling with that somehow they've lost their salvation or they must or they maybe they're not saved and we get into these traps and when I'm counseling people like this I often say look yes you have to make war with that thing and you have to really wrestle with God for help 
But if you were not a believer and you were not saved, you would not care that you're wrestling with that sin, right? It would, you wouldn't care about it. Meanwhile, we have people out here who think they're saved and they sin their hearts out. They don't have any care about sin. They think they can live exactly like the rest of the world and somehow they're going to be going into the kingdom of God. They have no fear. Those are the ones who are in trouble. Not the man who comes before God or woman beating their chest. Don't even want to look up to heaven. Forgive me, a sinner. That's the true heart of someone who possesses the Spirit of God. Those who are nonchalant about sin, they could care less. They're just free spirit about it. They're deceived. Because sin grieves the Spirit of God. And so the fact that you are troubled by sin, grieved by sin... is proof that you are a child of God. Many will think that they've committed this sin. Listen, if you're worried about it, you haven't committed it. I just mean seriously. The context here is about these religious leaders who are attributing the works that, that Jesus is doing by the Spirit of God to the devil. Let me read you this one paragraph from Matthew Henry to kind of put an end cap on this thought about this passage. Here's what he says. Here is a gracious, gracious assurance of the pardon of all sin upon gospel terms. Christ herein has set an example to the sons of men to be ready to forgive words spoken against them, but humble and consentious believers at times are tempted to think that they have committed the unpardonable sin while those who have come nearest to it seldom have any fear about it we may be sure that those who indeed repent and believe the gospel have not committed this sin or any other of the same kind for repentance and faith are a special gift of God which he would not bestow on any man if he were determined never to pardon him. And those who fear they have committed this sin give a good sign that they have not. The trembling, contrite sinner has the witness in himself that this is not the case. So Matthew Henry's taking kind of what I've been counseling people for years, but he says it a heck of a lot more elegantly, right? He says it way more beautifully. Repentance and faith are gifts from God. You have no desire to repent. You have no grief about sin. Unless you are a child of God. Because then you realize how grave sin is. So be at peace. Wrestle with the sin. Seek God daily for help to overcome it. But no, you have not lost your salvation. God is not one to 
pardon and unpardon, pardon and unpardon. What kind of a king would it be that every time I made a mistake, what kind of a father would it be that every time I make a mistake, he's like, okay, you're no longer my son. Okay, now you are my son. You're no longer my son. Okay, now you are my son. Be at peace. Let's continue on. Either make the good tree and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by words thou will be justified, and by words thou shalt be condemned. Please note, all I'm going to say about this is that the tongue is more dangerous than the sword. The tongue does more damage than the sword. What you speak of your children, what you speak of your spouse, what you speak over somebody who's hurting, what you speak over somebody who's wrestling with faith. The, every, every idle word, he says. So do not think that just every little passing thing you say is no big deal. Jesus says we're going to answer for every idle word. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came for the othermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. Then he go, then goeth he, and he taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell therein. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be unto the wicked, unto this wicked generation. So please note, the context again is he's talking to that specific generation, the generation that is going to reject him, the generation that is rejecting him, the generation that is attributing his works to Satan, he's saying Sodom will stand up and judge you. Nineveh will stand up and judge you. Because if, if I had arrived in those places and shown them the things that you have seen, they would have repented. And here you are, the ones who have access to the truth, to the prophecies, 
there's something powerful about those last things that he says that we can even look at in our own generation today. He says, you know, if you, you cast out a demon, it goes looking for a place, right? The disembodied spirits are always looking for a home. He doesn't find one. He comes back and finds out yours is all cleaned up now and empty. So he goes and gets seven more, worse than itself. And now the condition of the person is worse than before. It's kind of like you will have like maybe an alcoholic or somebody who struggles with some type of substance abuse. They get clean. But then when they fall back into the trap, the addiction and the condition is worse than it was. He's attributing that kind of mindset and concept to a whole generation. And I would say, look at ours. We've decided, what did our, what did, what did the Western world do? The Western world decided, you know what? We don't want God. So we're going to empty ourselves of this. We're going to empty our schools of it. We're going to empty our institutions of it. Um, Even the churches themselves will empty the truth of themselves. And now look at the condition vessels were empty and now they're filled but they're filled with something sinister in the hearts of men and these institutions and these corporations and these corporate churches who have truly who have rejected God they're still filled with something and now look at the condition there's nothing new under the sun let's wrap it up here 10 more verses or less than 10 here Five more verses. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren are without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and he said unto them and told them, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. That, my friends, is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. I certainly pray that you've been blessed and strengthened this morning, and maybe your strength has been renewed. And I pray your hearts have been pierced by the Word of God. Thank you to all of you who pray for the podcast, and those of you who support the podcast the Patreon subscribers, the PayPal supporters, mail. You guys are the ones that make this continue to happen. And I'm I'm extremely grateful and it's far beyond what I deserve. So thank you for that. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.